Hey, everybody. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here, along with MLB Pipeline's Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. We will be joined by many others throughout this podcast because it's time to wrap up the Pipeline Fantasy Prospect Draft, the first and maybe last, or the first (laughs) annual Pipeline Fantasy Prospect Draft. We've conducted it over uh, email over the last week or two. Here's the league. Uh, It's the three of us, and then Jason Ratliff, who has become the commissioner pretty much because he is very much invested. Mike Rosenbaum of MLB Pipeline, and then Jordan Schusterman, one half of Cespedes Family Barbecue. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to break down the draft on this podcast, and we'll also get out everyone's teams and picks as well. Uh, You can weigh in on who did well, who did badly. Uh, But let's start, guys. But I just want a quick thought from each of you. Jonathan, you can start. Was this worth doing? Absolutely. Um, You know, uh, and I think we were all, I don't know, hesitant. We weren't sure how this was going to go. Uh, but we've been talking about doing some kind of prospect fantasy league for a number of years and never re- really able to figure out how to do it. And uh, I think that um, it was a lot of fun um, just from seeing who was picking who, the invariable trash talking that went along, that goes along with any fantasy draft. Uh, I, I thought I, I, I thought it was uh, a nice diversion from our our your regular day-to-day activities. Yeah, and stealing picks from people that you know wanted that player the next time up. All that kind of stuff went into it. Uh, Jim, you um, were very vocal early on in that you weren't going to take a lot of time on these picks, that you weren't going to do a lot of research. But as it went on, I felt like you were doing research. No, that's not true. It's, All right. Uh, um, I would admit it if I did. I think anybody who knows me closely, uh, my, my, my good friend Mike Berardino described years ago that I have a uh, Michael Jordan-esque competition problem where I want to win anything I participate in. But um, I think this was – I was able to lessen that a little bit since there aren't any stakes riding on this other than pride. So, um, no, all I did was I just tried to cross names off our top 100 list as we went along since that was the – the draft pool, but I did not do a, a lot of prep. Um, I did think it was interesting, though. I mean, I don't know if you guys felt this way, but I, I don't know if I've ever been in a in a draft, and maybe it's because there were only six of us, but it seemed like we were all pretty much on the same page. I, I can't remember except for maybe one instance where there was a player I hoped would last an extra round or two actually did. I, it seemed like we were all thinking along the same lines for much of the draft. Yeah, and just to break down how it worked, the top 100 list combined with the top 10 position list. That was pretty much the pool that we had to go from, which was obviously plenty of talent to, to go around, except for a couple of positions that certainly got dicey late in the draft. Catching uh, became questionable. First base as well was a little tight, which was surprising to me. Um, but that's the way it seemed to play out. As far as categories go, on the hitting side, OPS, total bases, runs, RBI, stolen bases. On the pitching side, ERA, whip, innings, pitch, strikeouts, and uh, W, which is wins, Jim? But that was my understanding. Okay, I thought it was walks, but maybe it's wins. We'll figure it out. Jason Ratliff's going to be on in a little bit, and he will have it committed to memory, no doubt. All right, so I thought the biggest question marks heading into this approach-wise was how do you treat players who who knows if they're going to be in the big leagues at some point and have to kind of deal with that adjustment 
versus uh, you know high A, double A players. And then on the other side of things, as far as pitchers go, a lot of guys have pitching limits. How do you play into that? Was were those two things that you guys kind of uh, had to fight with in your mind as how to approach this draft being the first year? Jim, you can go first. Yeah, definitely. I I, I mean, I, I did take Shohei Otani with my second pick um, because I, he's going to be in the big leagues all year. But I, I purposely avoided any player I thought was going to get caught in between because I think you know playing time is going to matter you know with a lot of these categories. So I, I personally didn't like. It was funny though. I finally talked myself into Ryan McMahon, and then he went right before I picked him. But like a guy like Ryan McMahon, who should put up big numbers, but is currently on the Rockies bench, I wasn't interested in. I think Jonathan took Alex Verdugo. We even had, had conversed about him on Slack. I really like Alex Verdugo as well, but I was worried that what if he plays half season in AAA and then some half season on the Dodgers bench. So I avoided those guys, and, and I also kind of tried to look for, since you know, there's, there's no adjustment for, you know, the Class A stats count just as much as your big league stats, especially for pitchers. I, I tried to look for guys, I, I think most of my pitchers are pretty new to, you know, like three, at least three of my four, no, I think four of my pitchers, if we're counting Otani, are all new to new to to you know were, were guys who were signed last year and so uh, you know getting guys like Alex Fido and JB Bukaskis who are on the bottom half of the top 100 but are going to start the year in Class A and probably dominate those hitters that was something I looked for as well. Jonathan, how about you? Yeah, I uh, I did try to avoid the, the the guys who could be sort of stuck in that quadruple A up and down you know and uh, Verdugo I mean I got. Alex Verdugo in the twelfth round, um, so for me that was it was worthwhile, and I'll hope he stays in the Pacific Coast League for for most of the year. And and I generally try to stay away from guys who are uh, big leaguers. Um, uh, Scott Kingery uh, was an exception. Some of that was sort of a position scarcity kind of thing. I looked, you know, I filled my middle infield. Uh, not that there was a lack of shortstops, but uh, I didn't think like second baseman didn't thrill me. Uh, after the top few, and I know he's you know going to bounce around. I don't see how much he's going to play. So I'm banking on him figuring his way into the Phillies lineup more often than not, and it's a good hitter's park. Um, those were really the only things that I, uh, you know, sort of looked at. Uh, I kind of then, you know, I mostly drafted like what I thought was the best available player, and then after Kingery, kind of just drafted from the, the deeper list, the outfield and pitching lists, uh, until closer to the end where I've, you know, I decided to go, you know, first base and catcher were the two weaker spots, and, and that's when I decided to sort of jump in with those guys. All right, we're not going to go through every pick, obviously. There's no time for that. I think 84 was the total pick number. But I did want to zip through the first two rounds here, just rattle them off to give people an idea of where the, the really elite prospects went in this draft. I had the first pick. Took Ronald Acuna Jr. Basically, I just didn't want to not take him, didn't want to be the one who didn't take that guy, even if he ends up spending much of the year in Atlanta. Uh, and then, Jonathan, you went with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., clearly just to keep him away from Callis. Uh, and then, Jim, you were right after that I one. I think with... that was clearly because he should have been the number one overall pick because you aren't going to have to worry about level of competition in the big leagues. He was just made, you know, making you look bad for your horrible oversight. So. <laughs> no, no, I think Tim was right. All right, third pick was Jim. You went Fernando Tatis Jr. 
Then Ratliff went Bo Bichette at four. Jordan, who is sitting here quietly waiting to be part of this podcast, went with Nick Sendel, Z- Senzel five. Uh, and then Mike Rosenbaum on the Serpentine draft, back-to-back picks went Aloy Jimenez and Brendan Rodgers. And then going back the other way, Jordan had Kyle Tucker, Ratliff, Victor Robles, Callis, Shohei Otani, which surprised me a little bit considering his spring, but you get to defend that. Mayo, Mitch Keller, and then I took Walker Bueller uh, with the last pick in the second round. All right, uh, I mentioned Jordan's here. I don't want to keep him waiting here quietly for too much longer, so we'll let him weigh in here a little bit. I have his picks. Nick Senzel, number one uh, Reds player. Obviously, he's going to be in the minors all, all year, Jordan. Before we get to your pick, just thoughts overall. Um, are you excited to be part of this? Um, did you... Did you and Jake fight to be the guy representing Cespedes Family Barbecue? Uh, you know, in a lot of cases, that is that is exactly what it is. You know, only maybe sometimes. Usually, we have to do stuff together, um, but sometimes we got to split up. In this case, Jake had no interest. Jake, <laughs> Jake is not into the the fantasy baseball world. So uh, this was an easy easy opportunity for me. Um, this this whole draft has been very fun. Uh, I as we you know you guys were talking about it uh, introducing the league it is true uh, i also going into it was like oh i want to avoid the guys getting stuck in the middle and yet i have a lot of guys that will probably be be bouncing between uh a and the big leagues um and we'll get to some of those picks with nick senzel i just am very confident that whether he's in AAA or he's in cincinnati he's going to be hitting and it just felt like a pretty safe option cincinnati is certainly one of the better hitters parks in baseball and i think he's just going to make an impact immediately and could be giving me some uh positional flexibility later in the season if we uh if we decide Decide to count that. Currently, he's my third baseman, but I know the Reds are moving him around. And you well, mentioned no trade, so even if you qualify as another position, you, all you're doing is shifting guys around on your own team. Right. <laughs> well, I do have some flex. I do have a lot of flexibility, so I could I could move them around for no reason other than that I can. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure you send out a group email every time you <laughs> yes, do that. Yes, I will. Um, you mentioned guys going up and down, and and Jonathan and Jim both mentioned Ryan McMahon, and you mm-hmm. were the guy that ended up with him. Twelfth round, Ryan McMahon, obviously. It's a killer when you look at the first week of the season, mm-hmm. but you got to hope, right, that at yeah, some point yeah, he, he kind of earns tough. his time. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, he was, uh, I, well, I guess he was the, the second, second-rated uh, first baseman on the, our positional list, but I just believe, again, he's got the good ballpark in Colorado. I just hope that he, the, the Rockies realize that this is a guy who just completely destroyed AAA last year to the point where they will give him a chance to play at first. I know Ian Desmond is making their roster crunch a little complicated, but I just hope that when he does play, he should be putting up pretty decent numbers and let's be real it's not like there were any other first basemen that really excited me uh in this draft <laughs> right the first base was really fascinating to me uh and jonathan ended up stealing my pick a little bit later on but uh well, you so took mine tim because <laughs> i talked myself into peter alonzo after but jonathan took bobby bradley so uh ryan mcmahon was the is number 41 in the top 100 he went 68 so that's a guy that that went later than expected as far as the the percentages go and his ranking, Alex Verdugo ranked 33, went 71. Another guy, same reason. Uh, Mayo, you took him, and then I took Brinson. Uh, he's 27 in the top 100. I took him 61. All three of those guys, Jonathan, same reason. They're all guys that are up in the big leagues. Yeah, and you know, unless you have, it's rare that there's a guy right out of the gate in a league like this that you'd be thinking, oh, yeah, no, he's going to put up numbers right away. You just don't know. Um, you know, and Lewis Brinson, you know, uh, yeah, in the 11th round, sure. And there were, there were many rounds that went by where I was like, hmm, now, you know, should I take him? And then you, you, you ended up taking him. But, you know, the combination of questions about his bat, um, 
playing in Miami. Uh, you know, it's just the, the, the combination maybe decide to sort of hold off, and you know, maybe maybe if they had gone to the twelfth round, I would have uh, I would have decided to, to to grab him then instead of Verdugo. Um, at least for Dugo, you know, I know we'll be playing in, in the Pacific Coast League for a while and hopefully putting up some numbers. Uh, the you know, and, and then I will pray for the big league Dodgers outfield to stay healthy. It's, it's weird. We're praying for health. Usually if you have prospects, you like hope maybe if you're on a regular fantasy team that maybe there's an injury and that guy can get some time. This is the exact opposite. Keep these guys <laughs> in the minor leagues as long as possible. Jordan, when you look at your full roster and all the picks... What's your favorite pick from the group? Man, uh, it's it's very tough. And admittedly, you know, in a in a six team league, uh, all of our rosters are loaded. Let's let's not <laughs> let's not lose sight of it. I mean, we all have a lot of very good players. I'm now a guy who also kind of falls in the same category, but I'm still very happy with where I got him. Is Willie Calhoun? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, him and and even a guy like. Uh, well, Luis Arias is a little bit farther away, but him and Mejia, I'm a little bit split on. Those are guys very near the top of the minors who put up crazy numbers um, in AA recently. Willie Calhoun, I, he's another guy who I'm not totally sure why he's not in the big leagues right now. Uh, at the same time, if he's in the PCL for a month, I think he's going to be amazing, and I can bank those numbers, and then he should get a lot of opportunity in Texas, another good ballpark. Uh, and then the other one that I just really like was Carter Keboom, who I know shortstops, we knew there were a lot of elite shortstops. We knew those guys were going to go early, so I felt pretty good about him. If he can say healthy i think he's gonna put up a lot of big numbers for for a shortstop but yeah i'm I'm, i i like my squad i like my squad i think mejia was was clutch and i think i didn't look ahead far enough to realize just how few uh hitting catchers there were on the list and in the top 10 and to get mejia and then and jim you were able to get ruiz those were were key picks just because of the the lack of catching Mm -hmm. but how about a bad one? Who, yeah, did well, someone well, steal I, a pick well, from you, well, or is I, there one that you regret? I'm glad you brought up Mejia because um, this, it does kind of tie in. I, I am happy looking at Mejia because I had that thought process going, and I said, I really don't trust any of these catchers to put up big offensive numbers. I'm going to take the guy that had, what was it, a 56-game hitting streak or whatever a few years ago. Um, but at the same time, that pick, right before it, uh, Mackenzie Gore and Brendan McKay were taken by, I think, uh, I believe Jim and Jason, and I was set on taking one of those guys because I hadn't taken a picture yet. So I ended up kind of just falling back on Mejia, and I, it looks good now, but I would have loved to get one of those arms. And I'm sure they can talk about McKay. And McKay and Otani, certainly interesting uh, categories in this league, I would say, because they will count for both, I think. Yeah, is that what we decided, guys, as we yes, continue to work this out? Yes, yeah. so... And Otani, after fooling us all in spring training, <laughs> off to a. Uh, I was going to say. You heard my diatribe. What I, I've been on like a weekly diatribe, and my diatribe, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago. I, I just thought it was foolish. I mean, this guy was, was universally beloved by scouts. Not that scouts never get anything wrong. And everybody just gets down on the guy because he doesn't come in and start dominating in spring training right away. And. I, again, I do think people underestimate how how difficult it is to do both hitting and pitching. But then, you know, he was you know in spring training. I mean, he's literally you know acclimating to the Angels and the Major League way of doing things for the first time and adjusting to a whole new culture. Uh, you know, I, I want to say 
when Ichiro came over, I think there were questions on Ichiro in spring training, like, really, the guy hits like this, where he's running to first base as he's swinging, this isn't going to work, and then Ichiro wound up being the MVP. And I'm not saying Otani's going to be the MVP, but it just, it, 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 it's, I mean, it's ironic because we're discussing fantasy league right now, but I just think it's that fantasy sports mentality where fans get all up in arms if guys aren't producing. You know, we saw Gene Carlos Stanton booed last night in his Yankee Stadium debut because he struck out five times, you know. So, like, if you aren't producing, you know, fans get all up in arms way too quickly. That makes a lot of sense. All right, we're going to say goodbye to Jordan mm. uh, and bring in the next member of this league. But, Jordan, thank you for being part of this. And, yes. I, and I think we may do slight roster changes around the All-Star break. Mm. I think we still have to work that out. No, no, we, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, that's not <laughs> happening? We were told that wasn't happening okay. because we, we can't do that now after the draft. All right, that's after fine. After we said we weren't doing that, there, there, there <laughs> shouldn't year. be any what, roster changes. What difference does it make? You didn't do any prep anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, but like there would have been different strategy if you knew you could mm. bag guys or, or get them off your team. But we can't have additions in midseason. Right. Uh, I will, that'll be my diatribe for this week. I am. I am looking the rules. I'm looking forward. Fact. I'm looking forward to the trash talk all year long. Yeah, it, whether we change the rosters or not, this is going to be very fun. It's going to be a lot of fun, <laughs> uh, and we'll we'll have to in some way get it on Twitter too. So maybe some of the trash talking finds its way to the public. All right, Jordan, thanks a lot. I like your team as well. Uh, Mejia, I think, was a key pick along the way. Before we get Ratliff on here to explain his spreadsheets, um, I wanted to talk about the one that makes sense and is simple to me, and that is um, organizations. How many players were taken in this draft? And not a lot of surprises, guys. It ended up making a lot of sense. Most prospects taken in our draft, the Yankees had six, and then the Phillies, White Sox, Braves, and Padres all had five. So no surprises there. And then as far as the least prospects go, Cubs had no prospects taken in this draft. Mets, Mariners, Giants, Cardinals, and Royals each had one. Jonathan, I guess that those numbers kind of just play into the top 100 in general. Yeah, top 100, better farm systems, um... Did the Cubs even have anybody eligible for the draft? Just yeah, Victor Caratini would have been the only eligible he, player. He hadn't graduated off before? Well, he, when we started the draft, he was still on it. He was still <laughs> eligible. So Victor well, Caratini like, could have been the one guy. guy. Who was a backup catcher at the big league level. Right. Yes, and nobody gonna was going to take him. So, yeah, no, uh, no, no real surprises in terms of, you know, uh, those teams that had the most, and you could probably, you know, you know, the Braves could have had more than the Yankees if things had gone a different way, you know, with all those, you know, the Padres too. So it was just a question of, you know, since this wasn't the deepest draft in the world with only, you know, small amount of us making picks. All right. Uh, Jason is ready to go here. So when we first kind of were banting, you know, throwing this idea around of having this, I thought we would just kind of throw it together and it would be fun. But once you get Ratliff involved, um, spreadsheets come out, it gets organized, it's a Google Doc. All it's, the fun it's goes all, out the window. It gets serious. And so I want to thank you, first of all, for, for making this more than just kind of a a fun, quick, throw-together thing and, and making it serious. So so thank you for being, I guess, you are now the commissioner just because of your organizational skills. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Jonathan and I have been talking about doing this for, uh, what what is this, Jonathan, our, um, I don't know, 13th or 14th season working together second now. Second year, yeah. yeah. And um, we've literally been talking about this since maybe the first year we worked together doing something like this and, like, We've come close to doing it before. We've we've come very close to doing it before and just have never actually pulled the trigger on doing it, and I'm, I'm glad we, we finally did. 
So I'm looking at your roster. Uh, Bo Bichette, Victor Robles, Brendan McKay, Michael Baez, Jorge Mateo, Dylan Cease, John Duplantier, Michael Chavis, who you stole from me. I'm still a little bitter over that one. Tyler O'Neill, Estevan Florial, Zach Collins, Jemai Jones, Chance Adams, and Evan White. Bichette maybe was a slight surprise for me that he went as high as he did. What was your thought process with your first pick being Bichette? Right. So a couple things um, with my team, uh, one of which is that I relied very heavily on last year's performance. Um, I had I had everybody's stats from last year, and as people picked, I was plugging them into a spreadsheet that would then generate this that you're looking at now and, and give me a general idea of where I stood in terms of uh, the various categories. And uh, so I was, you know, I got a lot of guys who were power speed combo sort of guys, um, and Bichette was the first of those. Uh, he uh, wasn't someone I was particularly targeting, um, but felt like uh, right off the bat that that was my, that was my best option there. Um, the first four picks before me, uh, you know, Acuna, uh, Guerrero, Tatis Jr., uh, two of those four guys were 20, 30 guys, and I, I you know, wanted to try to get a, a power speed combo guy there too. Yeah, despite Callis mocking my pick, the thought process with Acuna was being able to fill up the stat sheet uh, a little more than than Guerrero Jr. uh, did. But all right, so when you look at your draft overall, who do you feel like, what was your best pick along the way? Well, you know, I I think, and we can talk about this uh, separately, but I I think that the value of Otani and McKay were both greatly inflated when we decided to count their stats, uh, both their hitting and pitching stats. We had also considered uh, having the players divided into having a hitting Otani and a pitching Otani, a hitting McKay and a pitching McKay. Um, But when we decided to count both hitting and pitching stats for those guys, I thought their their, uh, value was greatly inflated by that. So I I like my McKay pick. I think, you know, if, if you're picking him as just a pitcher or just a hitter, he wouldn't have gone nearly as high. But in a rotisserie league, um, you're basically basically adding an additional player, uh, whether you're adding, you know, the, the hitting variant of him or the pitching variant of him. Um, and I decided to go with him as a pitcher because I think he's going to pitch regularly, uh, whether it's every fifth day or, or close to it, I think, um, whereas – I don't think it's as clear how often he's going to hit. Um, so I'd rather take up one of my pitching slots than a hitting slot with a guy like that. And I don't know if that went into your uh, – if you factored that in with Otani as well, Jim. That's exactly the way I looked at it. Also, just because innings pitched as a category, I would be really surprised if Otani doesn't lead everybody in this draft in innings and strikeouts because he's going to be in a major league rotation all season unless he gets hurt. And I looked at the at – the, the home runs as a bonus, you know, it's, if he get who knows how many at bats he gets, but I could see him getting 250 at bats and hitting, you know, 10 homers on the conservative side. So I, I figured, Hey, I'm getting great value as a pitcher. Plus I'm getting, you know, 10 homers and, and the you know, production that goes along with that thrown in as well. He's, it's a six man rotation though. Remember? So that offsets somewhat the, I still think he's going to pitch 150-plus innings, and I don't know how many guys on this list will pitch 150 innings. That's fair. Um, Jason, looking at your team, 
I am curious because you mentioned you know sort of what you did from a statistical standpoint. I mean, did you look at Bo Bichette as a, a, you know, a second base? You know, one of the things that I had said when we were talking, like I, I took Kingery uh, because I saw like the drop off in at that position. Uh, some of the other sort of position scarcity things I, I waited on because I, I didn't see that much of a differentiation between guys who were still there and guys who I thought would be there later. But did did that figure into your decision to take Bichette first, just because second baseman after that, you know, weren't there was a huge huge drop-off from one to two? Absolutely, and and it was kind of twofold. Um, not only position scarcity uh, at second base, um, but the fact that if, as the draft goes along, I see a, a really good value at second base or shortstop, since he qualified at two positions, then I could switch him to a different position later on. And if you look at my draft out of the first five picks, three of them were guys who qualify at multiple positions with Bichette first, McKay third, and Mateo uh, fifth. So I had the same thinking with those guys that if I see a value at one of those positions later on, I can then just flip that player to the other position. At one point, I had considered uh, moving Mateo into the outfield. Um, I, there was, I can't remember who the particular player was, but I thought there was a shortstop out there that was a good value at, the po- at that point, and I could bump Mateo out to the, the outfield and, and uh, take a shortstop there. I ended up leaving him. At shortstop, and then with McKay, uh, I don't know who who entered him into the uh, the rosters tab, but someone put him as my first baseman, and I didn't I didn't move him, but I had in my mind all along that I was going to use him as a pitcher. But since someone had put him as my first baseman, I thought, well, I'll just leave him there, and a, a bit of a bluff, ah. an, un, an unintentional bluff. But, but then you ended up with Evan White as your first baseman. I'm not sure that bluff paid off. Well, I mean, he's he's my last pick. Yeah, first baseman uh, was not the strongest uh, position by by any means, and he's he's uh, out with a groin injury. Hopefully, for no more than a week or so at the beginning of the season. Um, but I'm hoping that he gets to Modesto and gets to hit in the Cal League this year, and he fared well um, in his short stint to start uh, his pro debut. So I, I don't hate that pick. First base was so tough, and I had Bobby Bradley in the back of my mind for I think three rounds, Jonathan. And I was about the when I was about to take him, you took him the pick before me, and then yep. it was kind of panic because then I went back and forth: do I just take Ryan McMahon and and hope, or and then I eventually convinced myself that Peter Alonso would hit a lot of home runs this year, and I guess I got him right before you, right, Jim? Right before you were going to take him. Yeah, I was thinking about it. I mean, that happened repeatedly throughout the draft. Like, I was actually looking at Ryan McMahon. Like, I, we had the same concerns about Ryan McMahon that we all did, not talent, just opportunity. And then I was looking at it, and I was like, you know what? He's better than I'm going to do at second base since he's eligible at first, second, and third. And then Jordan took him right before I picked him. And I was like, okay. And then I was my, – my thought process at first base had been all along – Bobby Bradley in the later rounds, and Jonathan got him, and then Peter Alonzo was my backup plan. And I, you know, Jason was talking about Evan White. I almost took Evan White because I like the speed factor also, but I saw he was, you know, has, you know, one thing I started doing yesterday as we we're working on our starting spot stories and inputting where everybody was starting the year was checking to make sure guys weren't hurt. And it's interesting, a lot more of these guys were hurt than I realized until I started doing that. And I just wound up with Nick Prado at first base. So, um, you know, hopefully he'll be at the lower levels uh, and will be able to put up numbers in the Sally League. Yeah, first base was interesting. Across the board, the first baseman in the league, uh, Paven Smith, 
Evan White, Ryan McMahon, Bobby Bradley, Nick Prado, and Peter Alonzo. Uh, by far, I think, when you think about the positions. Catching was tough as well. I ended up basically punting catcher once. Once Mejia and Ruiz had gone off the board, I thought about taking Chance Cisco at one point just because uh, Kyle Casey, who we all know and sits next to me, looks just like him. But then he went off the board, so I ended up taking Danny Jansen with the very last pick in the entire draft. But back to you, Jace, for for one more. Um, who, when you were going through the draft, what was the one pick that that stung that somebody took right before you wanted to grab them that kind of threw you off a little bit? Uh, I think I, I think I commented a couple times during the process about guys who uh, got swiped right before I was going to pick them. I know one guy that I, I can't really bemoan the fact that he went before I picked him, but that I had my eye on for a long time and then felt a, a pang of remorse when he went off the board uh, was uh, Helio. I mean, I, I was ready to pick him for like three rounds in a row. And at the last minute each time, I would look at his 31% K rate last year and be like, eh, I'm going to wait one more round. And then when he, when he finally went off the board, um, I was like, you know, because of the fact that I'd been planning on taking it for three rounds, I, I, I felt like I missed out on him. And then Mike Rosenbaum was the one who ended up taking uh, Ramos at one point. Uh, Jason, one more since you've kind of been going over these numbers. And, and for people at, at home, the spreadsheet is color-coded, greens and yellows and oranges and reds. Um, when you look at all the data that you kind of compiled here based on last season and projections, is there something that kind of jumped out at you? Yeah, the one, the one thing, uh, main thing that jumped out to me was uh, Jim's selections by far, I think, um, were geared toward kind of dreaming on young players who are not quite proven uh, professionally yet. If you look at the average age of the players on each roster, Jim has the youngest roster, uh, 20.4 years old, which is just slightly younger than Jonathan's. But Jim's players simply haven't played that much, especially on the pitching side, but on the hitting side as well. He has fewer, uh, just about every counting stat, uh, he has fewer of uh, across the board from using last year's stats, and pitching his his uh, pitching staff has a grand total of seventy four point two innings pitched uh, professionally going into the season. Uh, obviously, and that's in the, in the U.S. Obviously, Otani has has pitched professionally a lot, um, but uh, not including any numbers for him. The rest of Jim's staff. Uh, grand total of 74.2 innings pitched, and I think that was uh, no accident on your part, Jim. Right. I mean, we, I think we just talked about this on Slack, too. I, I think the most dominant pitchers are usually the pitchers in A-ball, and so I targeted high-ceiling guys who I think if you look at my, my pitchers, you know, besides Otani, who we discussed, Mackenzie Gore, Alex Fido, and J.B. Bukoskis are all first-round picks from last year who missed a ton of bats will be in Class A. And my other pitcher is Jesus Luzardo, who was coming back from Tommy John surgery, so he didn't pitch a whole lot last year. So I, I, I did that, and even offensively as we got into the later rounds of the draft, you know, I mentioned I took Nick Prado at first base because he'll be at lower levels, theoretically have a better chance to – to do something, and my last pick was was another first-round pick. I think I had five first-round picks from last year's draft. I took Adam Hazley as more of a a floor guy. I don't know that he's necessarily going to put up 
huge numbers. But I also think Adam Hazley is going to hit 280 and be at least respectable um, and not toward The last pick was tough because there were guys with higher upside, but I was also afraid they might torpedo my team if I took a guy who hit 230 and struck out like 160 times. All right. Well, thanks again for all the spreadsheets, and you're going to be tracking these numbers throughout the season. We have complete faith that you won't cheat. Uh, yeah, I won't cheat. I may not, I may, I may not actually uh, track them that closely, but, yeah, there will be no cheating. All right, good stuff from uh, Jason Ratliff there. Guys, we've talked about Jordan's roster and Jason's roster, not so much uh, the three of our rosters. Um, Jonathan, we mentioned Vlad Guerrero Jr. being your first pick, number two overall. I'm going to rattle off your other picks here. Mitch Keller, Royce Lewis, Sixto Sanchez, Scott Kingery, Austin Hayes, Justice Sheffield, Mike Soroka, Jesus Sanchez, Bobby Bradley, Jake Rogers, Alex Verdugo, Bo Burrows, and Mickey Moniak with, uh, in the 14th round. Um, I know you, obviously, at the top, there's a lot of guys that, that can do a lot of things. What's your favorite pick? Um, I think if I had to pick one, it probably would be Sixto Sanchez and getting him in the fourth round because uh, he's, uh, he's a guy who I think um, is sort of following the, the model that you know, Jim was talking about. He's, gonna, he's still at the you know, lower levels. He's going to be in, in the Florida State League, which is a good pitcher's league. And he has got a huge up arrow next to his name. You know, if you told me at this point next year that he's going to be the, you know, one of the best right-handed pitching prospects in baseball, I, I would believe it. So getting him a little bit later – uh, made made me happy, and I'll throw in Mike Soroka, uh, getting him in the eighth round because I think he goes sometimes a little underrated just because he doesn't have the, like the, the the wow stuff, but the numbers are all wow. I mean, he misses a lot of bats, he doesn't walk guys, uh, so from a fantasy standpoint, like looking at the numbers, I think it's pretty good. So uh, yeah, I, I like the the pitching I got and you know over those first. Uh, I guess eight rounds. Was there a uh, was there a particular pick when you were all set up and you got stabbed by one of the other people in the league? Um, I'm sure there was, but I've <laughs> kind of blocked that out. Uh, you know, I think I think the one guy that jumps out to me is uh, is Esteban Florial uh, because I was looking at him. I I taken uh, Jesus Sanchez. Uh, with my previous pick, and was kind of like Sanchez Florial, Sanchez Florial, and I got Sanchez, and I'm excited about that. And then I was kind of like starting to come back around to me, and I'm like, am I going to get a chance to get Florial too? And then uh, Ratliff took him two picks uh, before me, um, and that was in the to get Florial in the tenth round. Um, and then I ended up taking Bobby Bradley, which messed everybody up. So in the end, uh, that makes me happy too. Yeah, first base was a killer. Callis, here's your team, Tatis Jr. in the first round. Then you went Otani, Gore, of course. I think we all just kind of left Gore out there for you. Well, you did. You said you did, and that was much appreciated. Yeah, I was just concerned with innings, obviously, and, and how much he'd be able to throw. I ended up going with, I think it was Walker Bueller or Gore I was debating, and I went with Walker Bueller. Uh, then Ruiz, Jesus Luzardo, Juan Soto, Colton Welker, Monte Harrison, Alex Fajardo, J.B. Bukowskis, Laodice, Tavares, Garrett's Hampson, Nick Prado, and Adam Hazley. And when you look at the numbers, um, Tavares ranked number 34. You got him in the 11th round. Um, that seems like a good one. What was your favorite pick? Um, well, I guess, you know, it, it was a draft where 
not that you know I, I was yeah came to speak that I'm, I'm so choked up with emotion you know, we, we we're going to talk about guys who you missed out on too it wasn't like I had a list but like you'd make a pick and I'd start thinking okay I'll try to get this guy with the next pick and, and those guys almost never fell to me like if I waited a guy if I chose between two guys the second guy invariably was gone by the next time I picked but the one guy who I decided I really kind of wanted because of the ballpark factor and position scarcity. Uh, you know, I, I, look, I knew I wasn't getting Acuna or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. when I was picking third. I, I really wanted Colton Welker. Uh, I think you know, in Lan- he had 3.50 in the Sally League. Lancaster, that park is a joke. He, he could put up crazy numbers there this year. So he was a guy I wanted, and he was a guy I kept waiting around. I, I was prepared to take him as early as the fourth round. I didn't want to do it quite that high, but I was having a hard time figuring out where I should take him. You know, he, he's not on the top 100. He's on the top 10 third base list. He might have been the first non-top 100 guy drafted, and I, I guess that is right, because we, we had, you know, to fill out positions, we used the top 10 position list as well. And I, I was happy I got him. I would have been disappointed had somebody popped him after I let him go a couple more rounds than I really wanted to. I noticed as I went through this that um, I have a lot of faith and hope in Drury and Neil Walker in New York because I did take Torres and Andujar back-to-back picks in the hopes that they won't spend all year up with the Yankees, so we'll see how that goes. How about a uh, pick that got away from you, Jim? Um, you know, there were, like I said, it was pretty much every round. I knew, I mean, look, you guys know I love Guerrero. I knew I wasn't getting him at three, but... Um, you know, after the top two rounds, like I, I thought about Royce Lewis when, when Jonathan took him. Um, I, I really was looking at, like, I wound up never getting my second baseman. I was locked in on, on Keston here in the fourth round and didn't get him. You know, I, I think I mentioned earlier I'd come around on Ryan McMahon. I was like, oh, I could play him at second base. I couldn't get him. You took Taylor. I, I, I constantly was looking for steals. You took Taylor Trammell right before I could have taken him, and then I was going to probably take Jorge Mateo in the sixth round, and Jason got him. So it was kind of fun because, like I said, I don't remember being on draft where it seemed like we were all pretty much on the same page for most of it, that it was never, like, very rarely a case where I was looking at player A and player B and then actually got the chance to take player B if I tried to get him to last another round. Yeah, and I think part of that is probably because we were we were dealing with such a, a small kind of list of players. Couldn't go and grab some sneaky guy that's not in the top 100 or a top 10 list. Um, I think that would have given maybe you guys and Rosenbaum a, a little bit maybe of an unfair advantage. So I'm glad we well, did it the way we did. Loaded, loaded up on guys who are going to play in Lancaster or other parts. Right. But the one thing, I don't know if this surprised you guys, and, and I didn't set out to, to do this. It just wound up being that way as we got later. And I got my. I think I completed my pitching staff maybe earlier than anyone. And again, I wasn't intending to do that, but there weren't as many desirable pitchers as I would have thought. I don't remember exactly how many pitchers in total are on the top 100, but when you start looking at guys who are beginning the season on the DL, or you know, are kind of could get caught between that AAA big league shuttle, there weren't a lot of pitchers I actually loved. Yeah, I. I... I think I agree with that as well. Before we move on with Mike's picks, we want to take a second to tell you about Yahoo Fantasy Baseball. Spring training is in full swing, which means it's time to think about your fantasy drafts. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball has been rated number one by the Fantasy Sports Trade Association five years in a row, and one reason why is the Yahoo Fantasy app. The app will help you get expert advice and analysis you need to make moves like a big league GM and crush your league. You'll be able to draft, trade, and manage your team right from your phone 
Sign up by downloading the Yahoo Fantasy app or going to yahoo.com backslash fantasy baseball. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball, the official fantasy game of Major League Baseball. We will not be tracking the first annual Pipeline Fantasy Prospect Baseball Draft stuff on Yahoo, but we'll work on that for next year maybe. All right, Mike, you're on joining us now, um, the last player in the league. Um, I guess, first of all, overall, do you like your team? I do like my team. I feel like I made some uh, good picks early on, got creative as, as it, um, you know, the draft, draft progressed and rounded up with some, uh, you know, not, not particularly sexy but solid picks who could um, – uh, you know, boost my lineup over the course of the year, provided they stay healthy. Now, you were the wraparound like me. You had to make two picks in a row every time. My philosophy ended up being, because I was always afraid what would be left on the way back, that I pretty much got into a rhythm of a pitcher and a position player every time it came around to me. What was your kind of philosophy on having the back-to-back picks? Yeah, that was the case for me, uh, except for, I think, all of two rounds where I went with um, a, a hitter and a pitcher outside of, uh, I believe it was my first two picks um, where I went with just best player on the board, straight upside with Eloy Jimenez and Brendan Rodgers. But, um, yeah, I basically went by the same philosophy. And, and also as the draft progressed, I became uh, more aware that the guys that I was targeting were, were being snatched up. So having to wait until the bend um, with each of my picks, I began targeting guys maybe a round or two earlier than, than they might normally go in a, a draft such as this. Yeah, it was a benefit, I thought, just because we're all busy. So I, I enjoyed getting making two picks in a row and then being able to oh, absolutely, get back yeah. to other stuff as well. Um, was there one pick that really stung that somebody took right before you wanted to grab him? Uh, there were a couple, actually. Um, Jim took Jesus Lazardo in the same round that I was I was targeting him. Uh, and that was, that was going to be my go-to pitching pick. I, I was very set on taking him and then had to reevaluate. And I still came out pretty good there. I ended up getting... Helio Ramos, who could, um, you know, potentially be a five-category guy for me in the South Atlantic League. And, you know, if he, if he hits his way out of there, he's going up to the California League. So I, I like my chances of him being a very productive five-category contributor. Um, and, and beyond that, I kind of find myself targeting, especially in the middle rounds, upside guys who, you know, albeit draft picks from the, uh, the past year or two, um, are players who are going to be in leagues where they have the potential to outperform, uh, you know, maybe – Young guys such as uh, Hunter Green and Joe Adele, who I took with my sixth and seventh picks back-to-back in particular, those two types of guys who could put up big numbers uh, despite being you know, teenagers in full-season leagues. As far as guys getting taken fairly high above where their actual ranking is in the top 100, uh, Ratliff took Bo Bichette, who's ranked 13th at number four. He also took Jorge Mateo, who's ranked 73 at 28. Um, the other guy that, that, when you look at it, kind of fits into that mold was you taking Keston Hyera uh, 19th, and he's ranked 56th, and, and obviously he's, he's shown he can hit, and he's shown that that arm is okay. Um, but did you feel like you reached a little there, or were you comfortable with him at that spot? I didn't think it was a reach at all. I was, okay. I was very comfortable with that and excited that I was uh, able to get him there. For me, here is going to be one of the middle infielders in the minor leagues. Uh, I really don't worry about whatever level he's at. He showed him big league camp this year that he can hit just about anything, any quality of pitching. Um, so, so I think he's going to be very productive, and as long as the arm stays healthy, you know, this is the guy who's going to put up big numbers for me this year in high double A, and, and who knows? There's really no limit in terms of what he can accomplish early in his career. And then the second... So let me just say, Mike, yeah. too, I would have taken him three picks after you, because yeah, it would have been long gone. a list, but I like, because especially when you factor in, that guy's definitely going to hit, 
and he's yep. the second baseman. He yep. would have been my next pick instead of Kiebert Ruiz. And so if you didn't take him there, you weren't getting him. Well, I, was, I was going to say <laughs> the second base factor absolutely plays second into that as well. base factor is huge as well, yeah. Uh, how about, Jason might have made the same comment to me on Slack at the time, too. Uh, you got chance, Cisco. We've talked a lot about the catchers and, and maybe the lack of offensive production as far as the top ten catchers go. Uh, but we always joke with, with Kyle Casey that, that he looks just like Chance Cisco and maybe they're related. Um, you waited a while to take a catcher. It seems like a lot of people did that after those first couple went off the board, right? That There just wasn't that value after uh, Ruiz and... and and, yeah, um, you're exactly right, Tim. It, yeah. it, it wasn't worth it, in my opinion. And, and same with third base for me, and even first base for a while. That it got to the point where there were, you know, a, a lot of uh, very good but but fantasy middling um, corner infielders and catchers available. So I, w- I felt it better and more productive to target high upside guys. Um, you know, especially some pitchers with my mid round picks before filling out my roster with, um, yeah, as you mentioned, Chan Cisco. Uh, Austin Riley, I took in the tenth round. Um, Austin Meadows, my thirteenth rounder, guys such as that, who are you know not not necessarily the the best fancy players by any means or, or best prospects, but guys who um, are, are nice roster fillers, maybe a little bit overlooked or suffering from a little bit of prospect fatigue. I know, I took Nick Gordon and Jonathan. You'll get a kick out of this. I took him because we spent four days with with Flash last week at the National High School Invitational, <laughs> and I just wanted to text him and tell him that I had uh, drafted Nick. He said that he would let Nick know there was a lot of pressure on him. So it was it was all based on the uh, the video of Nick saying that he would take Flash deep. <laughs> exactly. Uh. Uh, one more for you, Mike, and that is uh, how closely are you going to pay attention to this fantasy league this summer? Very closely. I, this was a blast to do, uh, especially as it picked up after the first couple rounds and people started getting angry with each other about you know, stealing guys and, and, and making the picks that they wanted right ahead of them. I, I think that's kind of set the tone for this year where we're all going to pay attention and, and go back and forth, uh, you know, jabbing at each other, making comments here and there. I think it's going to be fun. And also it'll be interesting just to see how this, this plays out. Um, I know we kind of assembled some stats based on 2017, which really don't say much, but um, it, it, I'm very curious to see how that changes this year and what it looks like at the end of the year yeah i think we're going to learn a lot from this draft and maybe be more prepared if we do this a year from now all right yeah. thanks mike great stuff uh jim jonathan any final thoughts jim you can go first as we uh say goodbye and put this draft to bed i don't think there's any official stats but i, I have to be leading the league right now based on shohei otani's early season performance and i hope to make it wire to wire jonathan looks like you have a big um, that's really the most preposterous thing I've ever heard. I, I, <laughs> I, I do the stats, I'm sure. I'm leading right now. So okay. Why well, would like I, why I want to go minor league game play? That's like saying like everybody is in first place before the before the season starts. Thanks, Doctor Stats. But you're not. You're not in first place. You're you're, you're no, behind me. You can show no, you how dominated. Well, no. You you know what? Actually, my team has a better earned run average than yours does, because I haven't thrown a pitch yet. So. There you go, and you've you got an, an actual ERA. I would say mine. your ERA is worse than mine, but that's <laughs> right. fine. I got more wins and strikeouts right. and innings and fine. total fine. bases fine. and runs. And we'll see. We'll and... see. We'll see. Where I have to be honest with you, Tim. I don't care who wins this league as long as it's not Jim. <laughs> Fair enough. All well, right. I think Jason's got to be the favorite. Just I think he may have put more time into draft analysis while it was ongoing than the rest of us combined. <laughs> 
He definitely did. All right. Well, we want to thank Jason and Jordan and Mike for, for coming on the podcast this week to be a part of it. And a big thanks to Andrew Hartz and Danny Wexelman because putting this together with so many people involved was definitely tricky. And they do a tremendous job week in and week out getting these things out there into the world. So we'll get all these rosters out, too, on Twitter. And we'll uh, try to get the arguments out there as well. But for Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in to this Pipeline podcast. <laughs>